Hey, Story Most Queer listeners, it's Leah. Just wanted to get a couple things out of the way at the top here. First of all, hey, two, two episodes in a row, we have a new podcast on the Mischief Media Network, and I think you're going to like it. <laughs> this one is called Nonplussed, and it features two of our friends, Josh and Clancy, who are big Disney geeks and also big husbands because they are married to each other, and they are working their way through the Disney Plus back catalog and watching movies and sort of giving fun and snarky commentary um but like the snarky commentary that is always filled with love and passion because that is what we are about here at mischief media and that's also what josh and clancy are about so they've been doing that for a few months now and we brought them over into the fold uh it just made perfect uh sense everything was very harmonious actually uh josh has been a voice on the podcast a couple times so you may recognize his voice from that so yeah nonplussed is great and awesome and you should totally listen to it. So head over to nonplussed.mischiefmedia.com to check out the episodes or type nonplussed into the podcast app of your choosing. Also, because you don't hear it enough from me, folks, we have a Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash making mischief and check out the different tiers we have available. By supporting us on Patreon, you are helping us make new shows and bring you better edited content because I'm sure you're tired of me putting a clock sound on every episode of this podcast right um but uh sincerely it, it really 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 helps us along and as a thank you we have stuff like physical merch we have a private discord and so much more going on uh bonus content did i forget to say that probably so again head to patreon.com slash making mischief and select the tier that's right for you welcome to a story most queer where every week we bring you a new story about queer characters and lifestyles Written by queer authors, narrated by queer voices. Pocket-sized queer stories for everyone. A Story Most Queer is brought to you by Mischief Media. Today's story is Bad Vibes. Written by Philip Ellis, read by Jordan Edwards. This place is giving me really bad vibes, Ozzy says as we cross the threshold, turning to give the camera a mock shutter. That's great, says Deanna, but can you go bigger? Sure, Ozzy says, and gives the producer a brief flash of the smile that made me fall in love with him. And Gabe, Deanna turns to me, I want you to get closer to Ozzy in the frame. Remember, we're selling the love story here as well as the ghost story. I nod and step closer to Ozzy, planting a kiss on his cheek. Perfect, Deanna says, rainbow dollars flitting across her eyes. She's a shark, but I kind of love Deanna. Hard to believe it's only been six months since she strode into our lives, iPhone in one hand and a vape in the other, determined to make us famous. She'd stumbled across our YouTube channel and took it upon herself to turn us into stars and make some serious money for herself in the process. Deanna pitched us to the network as Queer Eye meets Most Haunted, and they ate it up. The fact that my husband has never met a human being he couldn't charm didn't hurt. Honestly, Ozzy could make friends with a tree. I'm the one who feels like three monkey skeletons in a raincoat whenever I'm on camera. Deanna has been kind enough not to be obvious about it, but shooting on Suits Layers has only been going for a few days, and it's already obvious that Ozzy's the star of the show here. Suits Layers. Punny and arcane. Mysterious, but also kind of fruity. I hated the name immediately when Deanna proposed it. Ozzy loved it. And so it was decided. From the top, Deanna says one eye on her phone, and we resume our positions on the doorstep. The production company put out a call for people who had experienced paranormal phenomena in their homes and would be willing to participate in a structured reality program, and they replied in droves. 
This is our first house call, the pilot episode. And even though Ozzy and I had seen and dealt with all kinds of weird shit in our time, I can't help but feel a little nervous. The last thing in the world I want is to be famous, but traveling the country with my husband while he does the thing that makes him happiest? I just don't want to let him down. A couple stand in the hallway as we enter, Joel and Jacqueline Price, the owners of 1023 Claremont Drive. According to the notes Deanna fed us, they bought this crumbling Victorian a year ago with the intention of renovating it, but have both since experienced night terrors that go far beyond the usual DIY stress levels. We cheerily introduce ourselves for the camera's sake, Ozzy planting a big kiss on Jacqueline's cheek and enveloping Joel in an irrepressible hug. I shake both their hands, and then they guide us to the living room, where we all sit, and they begin to tell us the story of the house as scripted by Deanna. It was run down, says Joel, but we figured it has good bones. Why not take on a challenge, you know? We thought it would be a fun project where we could spend more time together, Jacqueline adds, but, well, it started the first night we slept here. At first I thought I was overtired, says Joel. Then at breakfast Jackie says she saw the same thing. And what did you see? Ozzy asks, placing a hand on Joel's admittedly broad shoulder. Flirt, I think. A child, Joel says. A little boy, Jackie says, standing at the foot of our bed. He... He doesn't have any eyes, Joel said. I mean, we can't see them. They're just shadows where his eyes should be. That ain't right, is it? But we could just tell he was watching us, Jacqueline says, even without the eyes. And did you get the impression that this boy wants to harm you at all? I ask. I don't think so, Jacqueline says. He just seems so... sad. Breaks my heart, really. But the thing is... We can't sleep, says Joel. We've not been able to get more than half an hour a night between us since we moved in. It's like he's keeping us awake. Ozzy nods sagely. His unrest is contagious, he says. And I can practically feel Deanna beaming just out of my eyeline. It's the kind of line that can be packaged in tweets and promo videos ahead of the show's release. Ozzy's instincts are, as always, impeccable. We have a surprise for you, he continues, touching Joel's shoulder again and sending a ripple of petty jealousy through me. Pack your bags because you're both spending the week at the Ramada Hotel and Spa. Joel and Jacqueline do an excellent job of acting surprised, given that their suitcases are already waiting just out of shot. That was the other reason Soothslayers had so many applicants. As well as cleansing your home of bad mojo, Deanna's hired a DIY and redecorating team. The Prices will spend a week relaxing at the resort down the road, then come back to a completely finished house. We bid them farewell for now, Ozzy kissing them both on the cheek this time, and then resume our seats on the sofa so that we can look straight into the camera and give our testimonials for the pilot. Deanna perches on an ottoman out of shot, feeding us prompts. Ozzy, is it true you have psychic gifts? I have a lick of ESP, yes, Ozzy says. Empathy, a touch of precognition, but no, before you ask, I can't give you this week's lottery numbers. Deanna gives us a silent, perfect sign with her thumb and forefinger, then delivers the next prompt. And what do you say to comments that there's no place for spirits and superstition in our modern society? That there's no such thing as ghosts? We all have ghosts, I say. Every person is a haunted house. Every bad thing that's ever been said or done to us, all the things we wish we hadn't done to others, they live inside us, in closets and attics. What we do, I place my hand over Ozzy's, is open those doors, help people put the past to rest, 
and see a future for themselves where things are better. Plus, not everybody can afford therapy, Ozzy adds with a wink, and Deanna beams at the double act she's found. Ozzy always knows when to save me, swooping in with a joke whenever I get too far into my bullshit. It's why we work so well together. Next, cameras follow us as we explore the house, poking our heads in this room and that, feeling out vibrations and the like, but that's just for the viewer's benefit later on. I knew the moment I saw the house where I had to go. Ozzy will have felt it too. It's simple, like following the smell of burning to the kitchen, or in our case, the doorway under the stairs that leads down to the cellar. I reach for his hand instinctively as we descend, not thinking of the cameras behind us this time. Someone's down there, I say. I feel Ozzy's grip on my hand tightening. We make it halfway down the staircase before he freezes. I can't, he says. I'm so sorry, I can't. And he retreats up the steps to daylight and safety. I linger on the staircase for a moment, peering down into the shadows, but nothing steps forward into the light at the foot of the stairs to greet me, and so I follow Ozzy out. Here's the thing about my husband. Empathy isn't just a character quirk or attention-seeking perspicacity. It's who he is. Once, in the middle of a fight, I accused him of faking his kindness. I said that he must have been so badly bullied for being queer when he was a kid that he put on an act to make the whole world like him. He didn't talk to me for a day afterwards. I can really be a total asshole. Looking at him on the couch now, though, eyes shiny with tears and cobwebs in his thick, curly hair, how could I ever think he was faking it? Ozzy feels everything, and he feels it with all of his being. I'm the lucky one. The only bullshit I deal with is what's already in my head. Deanna says something I can't quite hear, and a moment later somebody appears with a bottle of water. I take it and shoo him away, crouching before Ozzy. It's awful, Gabe, he says, just awful. I know, I say. You were right to get out, Smudge. But what use am I if... He wipes his eyes and accepts the water, taking a long gulp before continuing. You're the real talent. I know that. I'm here for the living, not the dead. To give pep talks and fashion advice, and I just... I wish I could help more. You help more than you know, I tell him. And then I leave him to finish his water while I inform Deanna that we're wrapping early today. She's still ranting about going over budget when the car arrives to take us back to the hotel. I returned to the house on Claremont Drive after dark. I left Ozzy in our room at the Ramada, watching Love Island with a steaming mug of hot chocolate. I joked that if he got lonely, he could always go and give Joel Price a knock, and he told me, with great affection, to fuck off, and that he'd see me later. The house looks different now that I'm the only one in it, as if it had been putting on airs and graces while cameramen and sound technicians walked through it. But now that it was just the two of us, it could relax, breathe out, and show its real face. I cross the hallway to the cellar door and carefully make my way down the wooden steps. I'm not like Ozzy. I don't know the names and properties of every crystal. I have no idea how the movements of the stars might influence our lives here on Earth. I barely know my own sign, Capricorn. But there are things I can do that Ozzy can't. Stuff that I inherited, ugly and unwanted like racist figurines or a fur riddled with moth holes. I reach the bottom of the stairs, sit cross-legged in the center of the concrete floor, and lay out my tools before me. A silver cigarette case, a tin ashtray, a stick of sage, and a small scented candle. It's one of Ozzy's. He'll be furious I nicked it, but I can't do this under an electric bulb. 
Some things can only happen by shadow. I light the candle and try to breathe normally. The nerves I felt on the threshold this morning come back, bringing new friends with them. Happy thoughts, I whisper, doing my best Aussie impression. Good vibrations, peace and love. When my heartbeat is slowed to something resembling normal, I open the case and pull out a single, slender, red clove cigarette. It is bone dry, but it wasn't always. There are 12 cigarettes lined up in the case, each the color of claret. My hand twitches at the memory of the wound, me cutting my finger open, daubing each cigarette until they were all slick and stained with my blood, and leaving them while the blood seeped into the tobacco until finally they dried. I do not know any incantations. I cannot speak Latin. But blood calls to blood. I know this much. I fashion my own primitive spells, like a child making up an imaginary language. I light the cigarette and inhale deeply. The taste is foul. My throat burns and my lungs ache as the acrid smoke fills me. I breathe in deeper and deeper until my eyes are watering and my chest feels like it could split open. And then finally I exhale, forcing out a plume of bright red smoke. It hits the walls and rolls outward like a wave until it surrounds me until it is all I can see and smell. I lay the cigarette, still lit, on the edge of the ashtray, the filter facing away from me like an offering, which, of course, it is. I sit, and I wait for him to come. I know he will. He loved his cigarettes. What do you want, boy? Hello, Victor, I say, as he lifts the cigarette and puts it to his lips. He takes a long drag, then wrinkles his nose and spits on the floor. This is gone bad, he says. Do you really think so little of me? I'm sorry, I say, because some habits are so deep into the foundation of who you are that you can never quite get them out. Another witch may have been able to choose their familiar, but I work with what I have. My grandfather is the only spirit who has ever come to me willingly. All the better to get in the nasty jokes he's come up with since he died of lung cancer. You look like shit, he says. A bag of bones, and this is coming from one. Does that wife of yours not feed you? It's an oldie, but one of his faves, calling Ozzy my wife. Homophobia and misogyny, two for the price of one. Nobody can hurt you quite like your own kin, even if they've been dead for 13 years. You know the rules, I tell him. Say whatever you want about me, but leave Ozzy out of this. He rolls his eyes and purses his thin, dry lips. No need to be so sensitive, he says. Now, what do you want? I had three fingers in Norma Jean when you called. There's a spirit in this house, I say. I can't shift it alone. I need your help. He laughs, and it's a bitter, ugly sound. Say that again, he asks. I knew he'd be like this. I grit my teeth and rush the words out like taking foul medicine in reverse. I need your help. Fine, he says. He takes another drag on the cigarette, looks down at the row of paraphernalia in front of me, and laughs again. Sage, are you making Christmas dinner? He asks. I taught you better than that. You taught me fuck all, I reply. But it's a lie. He did teach me things. How to put somebody into a sleep so deep you could rob their house without them stirring. Ways to coerce a spirit into spying for you. 
the knot you can tie that will stop the flow of blood to a man's brain on the other side of town. I remember all of Victor's lessons, no matter how much I wish I didn't. But I refuse to follow his recipes for supernatural larceny, which is why my rituals are clumsy and makeshift, and the only blood I spill is my own. So where is it, then? Victor asks, ignoring my last comment. This spirit that's causing you so much aggravation. What are we dealing with? Some kind of elemental? Wild magic? His eyes narrowed in glee. A demon? It's a boy, I tell him, and ignore his disappointed, disgusted sigh, instead looking around the room. This is the place, I'm sure of it. Joel and Jacqueline might see the boy in their bedroom, but this is where he spends most of his time. If we were to take a JCB to this floor, no doubt we'd find whatever's left of his body. But we don't need to unearth anything to help the boy. That's just how the TV shows tell it. When you're dead, you have no more to do with your body than you do with a pair of socks with holes in them. By now, the boy's more connected to this place, these walls, than he is to his moldering flesh. Joel and Jacqueline said it has good bones. They're wrong. The boy's pain and fear have seeped into every brick and beam, like cancer over the centuries. You can come out now, I say. It's all right. We're not going to hurt you. Nothing happens for a moment. You've gone soft, Victor says. You don't pussyfoot around ghosts. You tell them what's what and who's boss. Shut up, I hiss. And then, yes, there he is. He steps out of the darkness in the corner of the room, a gray and frail thing. There are shadows where his eyes should be, just as Joel and Jacqueline described. Hello, I say. My name's Gabe. What's yours? He opens his mouth, but makes no sound. A moth flies out and up into the beams hanging over us. The boy covers the lower half of his face with his hands in something resembling embarrassment. Victor snorts and takes another drag of his red cigarette. It's okay, I tell him. You don't have to speak. I imagine it's been a very long time since anybody talked to you. I've never been much good with kids. Ozzy would know exactly what to say, but I'm glad he's not here. He wouldn't be able to bear the pain that radiates from the boy. Awful things were done to him by men whose names he never knew, and whose bones are buried so far away that no justice will ever be found for him, in this or any other world. The only thing I can hope to do is help him finally rest. This is Victor, I tell the boy. You're going to go with him. He's going to take you somewhere much nicer than this. Victor glowers at him through a cloud of red smoke, and the child takes a step back, retreating towards his dark corner. No, it's all right, I say. You don't have to be scared of him, does he, Victor? My grandfather rolls his eyes and gives what I can only assume he thinks is a smile. Come on, Squirt, he says to the boy. I'll take you to the fair. He holds out his hand, and just like that, I'm eleven again. And Victor is dragging me into the circle, putting the knife in my hand, holding back the pig's head to expose its throat. I blink away the memory. The boy walks slowly across the room and towards Victor, taking his hand. Victor grins triumphantly and turns to me and whispers, How do you know I won't drop the brat off at the first dimension I find? Because if you do, I say, I'll know, and I'll stop calling you altogether. Victor pretends that this threat doesn't affect him, but I know better. We might hate each other, 
but since when did that stop two people being family? Besides, I can't imagine he has many friends on the other side. The only thing spirits loathe more than the living is boredom, loneliness, being stuck by yourself with nothing but your thoughts, your own memories. That's what drives ghosts mad. What happened to this poor boy? I know Victor doesn't want that because I don't either. He's a cruel mirror. One of the reasons I loathe summoning him is because every time I do, I see my own anger, my jealousy, the sneering voice that asks, why would anyone love something as broken as you? Take care, Victor, I say. Then I pluck the dying cigarette from his hands and stub it out in the ashtray. He's gone before he can come up with a response, and so is the boy. I light the sage, then extinguish the flame just as quickly, walking the length of each wall, wafting the cleansing smoke to all four corners of the room. I try not to think about how my hand is shaking. And then it's done. I walk back upstairs and leave the house. I sit on the front porch, waiting for my Uber and wondering if the crew will feel a difference when they arrive in the morning, or whether what just occurred here will pass unnoticed. Deanna will be furious, of course, that 1023 Claremont Drive is no longer technically haunted. She'll soon have some poor runner rigging up a rocking horse and some string so that we can stage a family-friendly exorcism on camera. Ozzy will burn the sage this time, and I will hold his hand as he charms the now non-existent specters into departing. When I return to the hotel, Ozzy is asleep. I go straight into the bathroom and get in the shower, turning the temperature as high as it will go to clean off the dust and ash, the smell of old tobacco and burnt sage. I stand under the water until the tremors in my hands have eased. Is it just my imagination, or was Victor a little less hateful, a little less himself this time? Maybe you really can teach an old dog new tricks. Or maybe I've just gotten better at kidding myself since I started working in TV. I dry off, pull on one of those fluffy white robes, and go into the bedroom, where Ozzy lies dozing in his boxers and a Soothslayer's Crew t-shirt, a line of soft tummy visible between the two. In that moment, I feel such a rush of love for him that it bursts out of me like a shockwave, and I almost expect the walls around us to buckle. He opens his eyes and just looks at me for a moment as if to say, Calm down, or Not so loud, I'm trying to sleep, or maybe just I love you too. And I sink down onto the bed next to him. I lay my head in his arms and feel the brush of his kiss on my forehead, and I close my eyes as well. We're due to stay here until the end of the week, when the renovation is complete, so Ozzy and I can give Joel and Jacqueline a tour of their shiny new house. I already know Ozzy will tell Deanna tomorrow that I've come down with a cold so I can spend the day sleeping. The magic it took to cleanse the house has left me fatigued to my bones, and just like that poor kid in the cellar, I feel like I'm laying down to rest for the first time in an age. I breathe deeply, letting the scent of soap and clean sheets and my husband replace the odor of red smoke and decay. Before long, I'm drifting off while Ozzy absentmindedly traces little circles on my shoulder with his thumb, keeping the darkness at bay, a human dreamcatcher. Thank you for listening to A Story Most Queer. Today's episode was Bad Vibes, written by Philip Ellis and read by Jordan Edwards. This episode was edited by Leah Cornish. Our outro music is Round Daytime by Paratune. If you like the show, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on your podcast app of choice. You can follow us on social. We are A Story Most Queer 
on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you would like to submit a story, head over to astorymostqueer.mischiefmedia.com to read over our FAQs and fill out the form. Remember to check out our Patreon community, patreon.com slash makingmischief. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week for another Story Most Queer. <laughs>